Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through his word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. And let me say up front, that uh, and remind you, maybe you're not aware of that. We never plan our monthly series in the moment. That actually, we plan out our monthly series a year out, a year out. So, with that being said, uh, us being in this month and looking at the financial issue uh, means that only the Lord could have orchestrated where we are at as a community and the timing of this series. Uh, Your leaders are not that smart, and we did not do that uh, intentionally, but God knew. He knew that we're right at the brink of seeing land purchased and moving forward in what God has uh, for this community. And also, let me uh, state up up front that we have never before uh, done in the life of this community dwelling place, a series on money and finances. So, um, so don't believe the lies uh, of culture that uh, preachers just want your money. I assure you, if I wanted more money, I wouldn't be a preacher. Okay, <laughs> I, I assure you that uh, I could make a whole lot more money uh, in the world in secular jobs. So, uh, I want to say all that up front because it's. Uh, our hope that you would not come with preconceived wrong judgments or mentalities. And so I wanted to clarify that up front. With that being said, if you did not receive a message card and would like one, uh, if you'll raise your hand and you will be served. I want to read one passage of Scripture up front today from the book of Proverbs. And uh, if you... I want to follow along there at the top or not. They'll put it on the screen. But Proverbs chapter 10, beginning in verse 16. Solomon, who had the capacity of his heart increased by the Lord regarding wisdom, wrote, The labor of the righteous leads to life. The wages of the wicked to sin. I want to teach a message today titled, Money Mentalities. Money mentalities. And before I do, I'd like to pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, that name above every name, I ask that the Holy Spirit would confront wrong thinking, blinders, and lies that try to keep people captive. Lord, to see or perceive or use or think about money wrongly and not according to your kingdom and will. We ask that Jesus would be revealed. That we would sense your holy presence, your glorious presence. That Jesus, you would be glorified, that you would continue to build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail. Holy Spirit, I unashamedly say, you are my competency, sufficiency, and my greatest need in this moment. May Jesus have his way. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Maybe you've noticed already something hanging here uh, to my my left on stage. And uh, I want to ask you, when you look over here, what do you see? What do you see? 
Some of you just got new contacts or your new glasses in. So you say, you know what, I see a $20 bill or I see a $50 bill. Some of you, though, you are, you know, real analytical and you say, no, I, I see cotton fibers and I see uh, the fibers that make up paper and, uh, and this what we call money. Some of you, though, you see chicken biscuits because you skipped breakfast. Uh, some of you, you see cheddar meat, which, by the way, I'll never forget, you know, I, I would always use cheddar meat as a, as a strange, unique, and funny phrase at times in my life and journey. And I'll never forget, I was with Pastor Craig, and we were in, uh, up in the mountains in a grocery store, and believe it or not, they sell cheddar meat now. So I thought, you got to be careful what you ask for. So, uh, but anyway, some of you might see cheddar meat. I don't know. Others of you, though, when you look up here, you see a new pair of shoes. Some of you see new clothes. Some of you see money to pay the bills that you're concerned about. Some of you see food, a date night, a night out, a new pair of clothes. Some of you see money for school. See, I have found that money is like a psychotherapist use of ink blots. Are you familiar with ink blots? I have one printed out. Psychotherapists use ink blots. And an ink blot, the theory behind it, is what a person sees is due more to what is going on inside them. That what a person sees when they look at the ink blot is due more to mentalities they already have. It sort of reminds me as a, as a parent of three in our uh, minivan adventures, a time that we're driving and the kids look out at the large clouds standing out in the bright blue sky and they stare at those fluffy clouds. In fact, Alana, our youngest, she was staring out and looking at the clouds. And she found large marshmallows that she wanted to eat up there. Uh, apparently, I guess she was hungry and desired some sugar. But this is no different regarding money. That I have found the issue that most people have in the area of money is not actually with money. It's with the mentality they have regarding money. That there are money mentalities that affect and dictate and influence what they see when they look at money. See, the way we view money is important. Most people really don't have a money problem as much as they do a money mentality problem. I find the experiment called the United States of America sufficient evidence. I do, because you look in a country that has so much potential opportunity to acquire or access or make money, and yet there are people in the United States of, the, of America that live as if they're living in third world countries. That they have poverty mentalities. 
poverty mentalities. But then on the other side, you see people who have more money and more possessions than them and 10, 15, 20 generations of their children and grandchildren would ever need, and yet you still see a mentality of greed and a sense of need for more. And so what I see is, is that actually money is not the issue. It's money mentalities. Poverty mentality or a greed mentality. And when I think about money mentalities... I find that an important money mentality is this. You ready? Money equates with desire. Oh. See, really, when you look up here and you see a pair of shoes or you see money for a vacation or you see chicken biscuits, just something about saying chicken biscuits, you know what I'm saying? But that what, when you see that, that money is actually related to your desires. Your desires. It equates with desire. See, the foundation for our economy is the agreed-upon system of money exchange for the mutual fulfilling of desires. Let me say it again. The foundation for our economy is the agreed-upon system of money exchange for the mutual fulfilling of desires. Let me explain it this way. If you own a restaurant, you want to start a restaurant, or the people whose restaurant you're about to visit when I finish today, a restaurant desires to make money from their cooking, and you desire to feed your belly. And money is the agreed-upon system of exchange for those mutual desires to be fulfilled. Do you see it? Therefore, listen to me. As followers of Jesus Christ, it's of utmost importance that we understand that the pursuit of money is actually the pursuit of our desires. Wow. That as followers of Jesus Christ, the people that follow the light of the world, Jesus, who sing hallelujah, let your light shine, give us clarity and understanding regarding all things, it is of utmost importance that we understand that the pursuit of money is actually the pursuit of our desires. Now this might help us today as followers of Jesus, better understand Jesus' words that provide the main text for the series this month, Two Masters. What are these words? Well, Matthew 6, 24, they'll put it on the screen. Notice what Jesus says. These are red letters. If you have a red letter Bible, these are words. These are the teachings of Jesus on the days of His flesh. He says, no one, no, no, not you. I know you're special, and I know you really know you're important, but no one, not me, not you, no one. And serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Wow. Maybe it would help us here in the Western world of the world to understand Jesus saying this You cannot serve God. And your desires. 
if money actually is equated with the pursuit of our desires, then maybe it will help us practically understand what Jesus was saying. That you cannot serve God and your desires. Now, Jesus didn't just say it here. If He just said it here, then maybe we could have some dialogue and discuss and let's get into what He really meant. No, no. This is the common teachings of Jesus throughout His ministry. For instance, it's the practical application of what He said repeatedly. If you want to follow Me, take up your cross. Deny your personal desires by pursuing Me, Jesus, King, my kingdom and my desires. It's consistent throughout the ministry of Jesus. Now what's interesting is here in Matthew 6, Jesus, not Pastor Chad, not dwelling place, no, Jesus mentions in this verse that the topic of money is attached to our relationship with God in three ways. Three ways. How? He says money is attached to our love for God, our loyalty to God, and our service with God. Wow. That there's loving God versus loving money. There's the issue of loyal to God versus loyal to money. There's the issue of serve God versus serve money. Jesus is saying, listen, either he or she will love the one and hate the other. Either he or she will be loyal to one and despise the other. Either he or she will serve God or serve money. But this is not a both and option. This is an either. No one can serve both, love both, be loyal to both. So let's talk first about love God versus love money. When I think about the issue of loving God versus loving money, you know what I think this speaks to? It speaks to our attitude. It speaks to our mentality. Like, do I actually practically love God or do I actually and practically through my life love my own desires? Makes you think about the Apostle Paul. He saw by the Spirit that in the last days people would be lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure. Even the Pharisees of Jesus' day were lovers of money. And therefore Paul and Jesus said, because they were lovers of money, that framed their loyalty and their service. It framed it. See, when I think about love God versus love money, and I think about how this deals with my mentality and my attitude, I see where this actually then involves and affects our jobs. Why? Because listen, the issue of loving God versus loving money speaks also to the issue of our strength. Let me explain. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus has followers and He's got people around Him and there's people asking questions and trying to trap Him and Jesus is answering them and there's this scribe who was sort of in the back seeing how Jesus would deal with it. And he gets impressed enough to then, in verse 28 says, Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Jesus, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, The first of all, the commandments, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
with all your mind, but watch this, you ready? And with all your strength. Oh, oh, this is a priority thing. This is a first thing. This is a first issue. And, And this first issue of loving God deals with also loving God by loving Him with our strength. Now this makes me ask the question, Chad, what is your strength? Or what are your strengths? Let me ask you, what is your strength? What are your strengths? Well, listen, without a doubt, one of the aspects of loving God with our strength is our physical strength. It's what we do with the energy. It's what we do with the physical strength God has granted and given us. See, listen to me. It also deals with the strengths God has allowed you to have, like your education, your skills, your talents, your life experiences, your ability. These are strengths. So what do most people then use their strengths for? What do most people use their education for and their physical strength for and their skills for and their ability for? What do most people use their strengths for? For a job, right? For a career. Like when you add up your weekly schedule and the amount that your physical strength, physical hours and energy are going towards, it's primarily going towards we're using our strength for our job and our career. Which leads me to this question, why? Why are we using primarily our strength for our job and our career? Well, primarily we are for money. So if we're primarily using our strength for our job and the strengths we have, our skills and talents and life experience for a job, for money, why then for money? Listen. Because the desires you have regarding your life. So this leads me to the final question for love God versus love money in this line of thinking. So how do you love God with your strength then? Listen, the way you love God with your strength is obedience to God in the area and place of your work. The way you practically love God with your strength is that you are doing work and doing work where God has you, where God wants you. Not where you've called yourself to or where you want to be or where you want to work or even the type of work your parents want you to have or you want that. But what type of work does God, your creator, and those of you who are born again, his children, what type of work does God have for you? What has he called you to? What has he wired you for? What has he prepared you for? See, listen, to obey The type of work God's called me to and where He's called me to work, listen, that's to practically love God with my strength. Sometimes we super spiritualize everything. And to practically love God with our strength is to obey God where He's called us to work, the type of work, and where to work. 
See, listen to me. My money mentality is to be I'm working not for the love of money or the love of my desires, but I'm working in obedient worship because I love God. I'm working because my work is an act of worship to God who gave me these skills, gave me this education, called me, wired me for this. And I believe when you have that money mentality that it will affect the work we do and it will affect the why we do the work we do. See, listen, you remember what Solomon said? Who God increased the capacity of his heart to understand wisdom? He said in Proverbs 10 and 16, The labor of the righteous leads to life, but the wages of the wicked to sin. You know, there are many reasons why the labor of the righteous leads to life, but let me tell you one reason up front. One reason the labor of the righteous, those that are followers of Jesus, that their labor leads to life, is because their labor is obedient worship to God. And obedient worship always leads to to life. Listen, obedient worship always leads to Jesus being manifested. That's one of the reasons the labor of the righteous leads to life. So let me ask you this question. Are you daily giving your strength in love for God or in love for money? What's your attitude? When we see our work as worship, then it's not so much about how much we're getting paid. It's about, is this the work that God's called me to do and where He's called me to do it? And my work is first worship unto God. Unto God. So here's the kingdom action point. When I give money earned by my work as worship to His local church, I'm loving God with my strength. Maybe you've wondered before why I've told you around uh, the time of tithes and offerings and financial giving that, listen, you're not just giving money. See, a kingdom mentality understands that you're giving more than money. You are giving. You are giving your strength. Because you used your strength and you used time And you use the abilities and the skills and the life lessons God has given you for that money to be received. You're not just giving money. You're giving your strength. When you give your tithe to the local church, you're giving your practical expression of loving God with your strength. Wow. Now you can see how it leads to more life. Because guess who God uses to extend His kingdom? He don't use the one who sees money as wages for their sin and selfish desires. He uses the church of Jesus Christ. It's the church of Jesus Christ that's telling people that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The life. Now let me just tell you up front, this message is not a message to talk to the skeptics and the doubters and the scoffers and those that want to be argumentative. Uh, This is not for that. This is a message of just looking at this text 
and a message that I've lived and a message that we hold fast to. So let's look at it again, Matthew 6, 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So we've looked at Jesus, how he attaches money to our relationship with God through Love God versus love money. Now let's look at how he attaches it to loyal to God versus loyal to money. When I think about the issue of being loyal to God versus loyal to money, this speaks to our faithfulness. Did you know Jesus himself declared and taught that there is money that belongs to God? Listen, there, are, there is money that you get that does not belong to you. It belongs to God. That's what Jesus said. And Jesus said, because of that, Matthew 25, 27, at His return, He judges what we have done with the money that belongs to God. Now think about this. When you hear the word loyalty, loyalty speaks to many things, but let me highlight a few. Loyalty speaks to devotion. In fact, out of my love for some people in football season, I'm begging them, to stop being loyal and devoted to certain teams that do nothing but year after year break their heart. I'm begging them. Stop being loyal. Stop being devoted. They're just breaking your heart time and time again. See, loyalty speaks to devotion, but you know what else it speaks to? Who is our master? The issue of loyalty speaks to who is your master and loyalty also speaks to who is your service for. Now, I was never great in English. But one thing I understand, what sets loyalty apart from other descriptive words is it requires consistency. Like, listen, you can't have loyalty... By being sporadic and spontaneous. That's not loyalty. See, listen. Loyalty requires consistency, and it's neither sporadic nor spontaneous. Listen, it's steadfast. This is why, do you know the psalmist and people that walked with the Lord? They wrote the psalms. This is why they said that God's loyalty towards His creation is steadfast loyalty. Wow. That God's desire to reconcile and bring back His creation to Him, it's not, oh, some days, you know what, I want them to be forgiven and come back to me. Other days, no, you know, they're having a bad day. Damn them. Send them to hell. No, 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 listen. God's posture towards His creation is called steadfast love and faithfulness and loyalty. How do you get that? Because God's heart towards His creation isn't spontaneous and sporadic. It's steadfast. It's loyal. It's unchanging even when we're unloyal. But as disciples called 
to be conformed to the image of Jesus, who is the direct and express image of the Father, we're to mature in living out this teaching of the kingdom regarding money and how money is attached to us being loyal to God our Father. Now listen, loyalty comes into play and can only come into play because there has always been biblically expected giving. Listen, you cannot get far into the book of the beginnings called Genesis before God makes it very clear the paths that humans are taking. Cain and Abel, and he shows that their outward giving is a big clear picture of their loyalty and their love and their desires and where they are at in regards to the relationship with their creator. God brings giving right in the beginning. God has from beginning to end always had biblically expected giving. Now listen, it's only because there is biblically expected giving that one can be loyal. Listen, without there being an expectation, you can't be loyal. It's only because there is biblically an expectation regarding finances we have that loyalty can happen. And this is why... You hear about, from the beginning, God highlighting what is called scripturally the first or the first 10% or what's called the tithe. And you know what it, it mean? It meant devoted thing. Now here's Jesus thousands of years later after scripture has been talking about the first of our increase, the first 10%, the devoted thing. Then Jesus comes and he says, hey, there's money that belongs to God. And we'll give an account for what we do with the money that we receive that actually belongs to God. And it is the tenth. It is the first ten percent of our income. The tithe. It belongs to the king of the kingdom. Now again, as I said, this is not a, a, a debate in dealing with uh, skeptics and and uh, that's not a sermon like that. But it does amaze me how we can talk kingdom language and king language and then think that there's not expected form of giving <laughs> in a king in a kingdom. That's a great leap. It's a great leap. But here's what's amazing for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ here in this community. Regardless of the difference between our incomes, our loyalty to God is to be demonstrated in unity. How? Listen. It's not about equal income, but equal loyalty in giving. That's why he says the first, the tithe, the first 10% of our income is a devoted thing that belongs to God. So regardless of our income, all of us as a community of followers of Jesus show our unity and our loyalty to God when we're faithful, not spontaneously or sporadic, but consistently with the first 10% of our income being given to God to whom it belongs. So here's the question. Are you trying to achieve loyalty through spontaneity. Well, I couldn't imagine how the conversations in my marriage would go 
if I was trying to achieve loyalty by spontaneity. Listen, here's the kingdom action point for us. When I give loyally 10%, the first 10% of my income, not what's left, the first 10% to God through the local church, I demonstrate my devotion to the king and I request for his kingdom to bless and give me wisdom regarding the remaining 90%. Wow. How powerful. How powerful. See, look at Matthew 6.24. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. We've seen Jesus attaches money in these three areas to our relationship with God of love God versus love money. Secondly, loyal to God versus loyal to money. And then next, Roman numeral four, serve God versus serve money. When we think about the issue of serving God or serving money, you know what that speaks to? It speaks to our character. You know why? Because what you serve, you become like. And what you become is your character. I remember reading growing up, Jesus, when he tells this story about a king and a kingdom and a steward. And he leaves and goes to a far country. Like Jesus left and went to the third heavens and is seated at the right hand. But when he left, he left some of his money and goods to his servants. And he says, be wise. Be a wise steward with them because there's going to be an account. And I remember reading this as a boy because I, you know, growing up, you, you see those old oil paintings of Jesus, all mild and meek and a glowing halo on his eyes, sort of like the video. You know, blue-eyed Jesus. Yeah, blue-eyed Jesus. Well, that would be interesting, wouldn't it, in the Middle East? And the prophet said there was nothing that made him stand out. <laughs> so, uh, but Jesus, in Matthew 25, 26, he talks about there's this one who got money, but all he did was dig a hole, bury it, and hide it. What so shocked me is Jesus said when he dealt with the man and he made the man give an account, he calls him something that speaks about his character. And he says, you lazy and wicked servant. Wow. See, those are reprimands about character. What Jesus is teaching us is that Money mentality is that what we do with money reflects character and what's going on in the heart. See, when he dug and buried it, it's like saying this, God, you might care about this issue in my life, but you know what? If it's out of sight, out of mind, if I sweep it under the rug, then I can just act ignorant, and you know what? I won't have to give an account for it. Listen, that's the lazy thing to do. That's what so many people that sit in church week after week do in many areas of life. They got access to the inspired, God-breathed recording of events in history that God wants to use to teach us how to live and follow Him, to love Him and love our neighbors. But you know what the lazy thing to do is? Is to hide the Bible where we dig it, and because if it's out of sight and out of mind, then, oh, I'll claim ignorance. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. Jesus said that's laziness. 
that we can find out what God thinks about issues in our life because He cares about all of our life and He even cares and says stuff about the issue of money in our life. He says, wicked servant. Why? Because the wages of the wicked lead to sin. They never find out why God gives them money and what God says about money. So they always view money, they see it as the fulfillment of their desires for pleasure. Which is sin. Because you know what sin is? The essence of sin? It's lawlessness. It's just do whatever you feel like doing. Woo! Just live it up. Be your own king. Be your own God. And Jesus says, no, no. Whether we're serving God or serving money, it's attached to character. And you know what I found though? As I found in times and seasons and different issues in my life, I've identified with that wicked and, and lazy man. You know why? Because Jesus, or when he tries to give a rebuttal to Jesus, like why he did it, he said, I feared. Listen, that's what fear does to us. Fear makes us cowards. Fear lies to us and tells us that God doesn't actually have best in mind for us. So if we ignore his teachings about areas of our life, it's going to be okay. No, no, listen, that's what fear does. We serve a perfect father who has perfect love towards his children. And this is why the Apostle Peter, when he talks about this journey of maturing into the image of Jesus Christ, do you know the very first thing he says on this journey towards maturity that we should add to our faith? The very first thing. He says, add to your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He's King and Lord of your life. Add to your faith moral courage. The first thing we need to add is moral courage to find out God's kingdom standards regarding areas in our life, including finances. It takes moral courage. Because fear makes us try to just bury it, sweep it under the rug, out of sight, out of mind. But listen, those of us that are children of God, we're to be sons and daughters led by the Spirit of God. We're not to be slaves to our desires. Wow. When I think about what are we a slave to, what are we serving, I think about how this brings up the issue of what is your mission for your life? Like your life that's called a vapor, what's it for? What's the mission, what's the purpose of your life that's like a vapor compared to the eternal, only one true God? See, the issue of serving God versus serving money, it speaks to our mission. Jesus modeled a life that leads to having treasures in the kingdom age to come. Jesus modeled money being used, watch this, for His mission and His calling. Jesus also modeled money not keeping Him from His mission. So this confronts all of us. It confronts us with the issue, is God master of my life and therefore I'm seeking to follow His mission? Or is money the master of my life and my mission is just to acquire more? See, when money is my master, if money is your master, it will keep you from serving God at some point when He asks you to trust Him and obey Him on mission. 
I think about Jesus' first disciples. He calls the twelve to himself after they went through these phases and sort of these tests. And then the seventy. And he models and he teaches them and he does life with them and he mentors them. And they finally get to this place and he tells the twelve, I'm sending you out. But two by two into cities. He says, but listen, when you go on this mission, you can't take any money. I can see him saying, wait a minute now. Like we're supposed to travel. You realize that like the roads we travel, there's just not like fruit trees and you know, just vineyards that we pluck whatever we want. Like we're going to need food. It's a hot sun. We're going to get dehydrated. We need some filtered water, Jesus. Like you understand this is going to cost. Jesus says, listen, you're not to take any knapsacks or any money belts. So he sends them out. Then later they come back. In Luke twenty-two thirty-five, 35, Dr. Luke records this moment. Jesus, he says to them, Luke 22 and 35, When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, and sandals, did you lack anything? So they said, nothing. Wow. A kingdom money mentality that if we're serving God and we're serving His call and is serving His mission, then we have to trust and obey where He sends. We don't filter what we do in our mission in our life through first money. We filter it through who's to be our master, Jesus, and what He's called us to. And once they learn this lesson, you know what He then tells them? He says, okay, now you can take money bag and knapsack. I think about when God stirred Michelle and I to move over here and we didn't have no financial backing and uh, we didn't have no money bag and, and we just had God say go and put a dream and, and call us to move forward. And I, she can testify and I testify today by the grace of God that we lacked nothing. And now I think about the future mission and vision of this community, of other church planting teams sent out, and if they'll get the spirit and the understanding of what we've already modeled and lived and experienced, they won't have to be sent out without a money bag because they understand that it's about serving God and following His mission and calling, and if that is our master, the money will take care of itself. Wow. So here's the kingdom action point. When God is my master, money will not keep me from serving God when He opens a door for me to walk through. That the first question that comes when God opens a door is not a money master question. It's God's my master, trust Him, and He'll take care of the rest. So the question is, is what masters our mentality? Or better yet, who masters our mentality? God or money? Service that's dictated by God and what He's called us to or service that's dictated by the pursuit or money. This leads us to Roman numeral 5, which is a key point. Kingdom economy is much broader than money. Listen to me. If you're a born-again child of God, if you repented and placed trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and leader of your life, then He's brought you into His kingdom. 
But you can be in His kingdom and not have experienced the benefits of His kingdom. Because His kingdom operates on certain mentalities in certain ways. And you have to understand that there is a kingdom economy for His children that is bigger than the American economy. Listen to me. Kingdom economy is bigger than even money. Let me give you some examples. Jesus is out with the twelve, His disciples, and they're out in the middle of nowhere. Now in a growing uh, metro of Atlanta, we, it's hard for us to think. Like where do you go that's out in the middle of nowhere that's just a desert and none's around because everything's growing around us. But imagine we're all out in the middle of some wilderness somewhere and there literally is barrenness and nothingness. There's no foods, there's no stores, there's little road access to get quickly. And he's out there teaching and the scripture says that there was about 5,000 men. Most scholars then believe about 20,000 people because of wives and then children. And he looks at the disciples and he says, hey, they're hungry, feed them. And money mentalities start turning like gears in their mind. And they start thinking, how much is in the treasure box? And they think, well, Judas, you know, he stole some already. And then, oh my gosh, there's not a way. Where in the world are we going to get enough money to get food to feed these people? And Jesus is trying to teach them now that they've learned to be faithful in following Him. That kingdom economy is greater than an economy built just upon money. He says, what do you have? And they bring to him these little fish and loaves. And he looks up to heaven. He blesses it and he breaks it. And he says, make them sit down and feed them. And they see kingdom economy come and multiply. And they're all fed with remains left over. Same thing, feeding of the 4,000. Another time, there was temple tax in, in that day. And Jesus and, and his disciples were about to go in the temple. And his disciples say, hey, they're asking about the temple tax. And he says, look, well, we don't want to offend them. So he says, hey, Peter, you remember when you were a fisherman? You were a pretty good fisherman at the time. Go down there and catch. And the first fish you catch, it's going to come up and there's going to be gold coins in that fish's mouth to pay that tax. Wow. What's he saying? He's saying the king of the kingdom is Lord over the cattle on a thousand hills and the fish in every lake and the fish in every sea and the tree on every hill and there's an economy greater than just money economy. I remember when I began to learn about kingdom economy and I came back to the Lord and began to faithfully give the devoted, the first 10% of anything I made and the tithe faithfully and God began to open my understanding in scriptures and to teaching about kingdom economy. And I began to say, oh, I'm going to believe God. You know, there's treasures buried all around us, literally, especially because we live in civil war territory and Indians. I mean, I'm like, God, there's treasure buried all over the United States of America and I'm going to believe you for treasure. All it takes is one fine and we can build four churches and we can build seven orphanages. Just let me find something. I was getting my faith up and I was down in Louisiana and Mississippi going back and forth. I was at a, a retreat. And during the break in this retreat, there, we were uh, there on water. And I went and stood on the, on the sand of the 
shore and I took off my shoes and my socks and I was looking out there and I was thinking, you know what? People find buried treasure all the time. People make a living out there in the seas and oceans looking for treasure. Lord, I'm believing you. I saw a sparkle, Clint. I said, oh, praise the Lord. Man of God, look at my face. Woo! So I rolled up my, my, uh, uh, my pants and I started wading through and I got closer and sure enough, this thing's sparkling more and more. And this, ooh, it's looking like a watch. I get down, oh, let it be. It's going to be a Rolex. Uh, I think one of them's a, a Britling, Britling or something. That's high value. Woo, we're going we're gonna to do a lot for Jesus. I reached down there. Sure enough, a watch. I brought it up, though. It was a rusted, broken, despised Seiko. Satanic piece of metal. Just popped my balloon of faith. But you know what? You might start out like that, but we've seen the faithfulness of kingdom economy. My wife and I can attest that there's economy bigger than just money. That you can stay in houses without money. You can get cars without money. You can get land and opportunities without money because there's a kingdom economy. A kingdom economy. Luke 16, 11, as the band comes... Jesus says, listen to me, therefore if you have not been faithful in the unrighteous money, who will commit to your trust the true riches? If you've not been faithful in what is another man's, who will give you what is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now listen, this is Luke's account of what is our main text in Matthew 6 for this series. And Luke expands on what Jesus said in those moments of the teaching. And he says this, If you've not been faithful in money, who will commit to you your trust the true riches? Here's a question for you. Does Jesus attach the test of money to accessing the greater kingdom treasures? Does Jesus attach what you do with the money that belongs to God, the devoted thing, the first, the first 10% of your income? Does Jesus attach your faithfulness with the tithe, the 10%, to accessing true kingdom riches accessing what kingdom economy will do what kingdom authority can do you say what's true riches let me tell you what true riches is it's things money can't buy it's families being saved it's broken hearts being healed it's dreams being built again it's depression being broke off it's the anointing of God upon your hands and you put your hand in Jesus name on someone and addiction and bondages break it's souls being saved it's the lost being revived it's the city being reached for Jesus that's the true riches of heaven authority you can't get with paper souls that are costly Jesus says, wait a minute, money's not a secondary thing to me because money's attached to who we're loving practically, who our loyalty is practically, who we're serving practically. And yet if we'll be faithful with that unrighteous money, dirty money, who knows where this money's been before? May it just be sanctified and used for God's glory. 
if you can't be on be faithful with money, how in the world are you going to be faithful with the true riches, true authority, greater anointing, greater influence of His kingdom? Meaning, kingdom economy stays closed. So here's the kingdom action point. The development of trust and faith for the participation in the kingdom economy starts with love, loyalty, and serving God faithfully with the tithe. Listen to me. You cannot be faithful with 90% of your income if you're not faithful with the 10% tithe. How in the world are we going to be faithful when 90% of our income and say, God, how do you want me to serve you with this? How do you want me to be loyal with this? How do you want me to exchange my physical strength, my energy that got me this money for your glory? If we're not faithful with 10, not a chance. If we're not concerned with the 10, we're not going to ask God's concern for the 90. Now with that being said, we must never forget, lastly, that kingdom entry is much narrower than money. We can never confuse that. What I'm saying is, is money can't get you or buy you access into God's kingdom. You can have all the money in the world and guarantees you no entry into God's kingdom. Being forgiven and being saved and being reconciled to your creator. Let me show you this in Mark 10, 20. This guy comes to Jesus. And he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now listen, he's not asking how do I go to our idea of heaven here in America and sit on clouds. No, no, he's talking about how do I live forever in, in the kingdom? How do I live on earth forever in the kingdom? And here's what Jesus said. Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus looking at him, these things, Jesus took him through the Ten Commandments. His relationships. Oh, Jesus looking at him, loved him. He said, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word, and he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. Now, I bet you, if you've been around the church, you've heard a lot of preachers stop there. But that's not where it stops. Because notice what Jesus continues to say. The disciples were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, Children, listen. How hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Listen, the issue really wasn't that he had a lot of possessions and a lot of money. The issue was is that he trusted in his possessions and his money. That's what kept him from being able to enter the kingdom. Because listen, the currency to get access into the kingdom is the currency of trust, not the currency of money and riches. The door to get into the kingdom of God is the person of Jesus. And the currency of exchange between Jesus and you 
has to be the currency of trust. And the issue was the rich trusted in the resources and the money they had. I think I got a little insight on this. Now this is despite the fact that everyone in here is 90 per, richer than 90%, has more money than 90% of the people in the world. But I'm talking about the people that has more money than we have in this room, like in America. Those that I know, you know what I've learned? Most of them have more money than others because they learn to control decisions related to money to guarantee their investment return. They control where they invest their money and put their money so they have more guarantee that they get a better return on their investment. That's how they make more money. Now watch this. The key there is they've learned to control their investments and control the money. Now do you see where the problem comes to this man? Because to get access to the kingdom, you have to surrender control. And most people have learned to get what they have through controlling variables, controlling things to assure a better return on their investment. But to access the kingdom, you have to surrender control. That's why it's so hard. Listen to me. The difficulty for the rich is the issue of trust. See, listen. You can buy nice things, but nice things cannot buy you the peace of the kingdom. You can buy nice things, but nice things can't buy you the joy of the kingdom that's not dependent on outward circumstances. You must understand, when you take the money, the United States of America... you take the money of our economy and spend it, listen kingdom mentality and disciples of Jesus have to understand you're not just spending money you're being spent you're being spent because you gave of your time your strength, your energy that's like a vapor You're giving that energy and time and strength that allowed that money to be given to you. That's what you're really spending. You're spending your life that's like a vapor. Oh, you're not just spending money. You're, you're being spent. Let me ask you, though. What you're buying and getting with that money, when you're really spending your soul, your human life, to get it, is it worth it? Because you're giving your soul your life in exchange for it. You're giving your life. Every time I buy, well I don't, but every time my wife buys me a new pair of shoes, we're not just spending money, we're spending our life to get those shoes. Is it worth what you're being spent for? Boy, that's a powerful question. Money cannot purchase the kingdom experience. Listen, money is a defense, but it's not life. This is why even researchers show the difference of happiness between a person who makes 
50,000 and one who makes 50 million is little, if any. However, the difference of happiness between a person who makes $5,000 a year and 50000 is drastic. You know why? Because money is a defense. You make $5,000, your tire goes flat. Well, you don't have no money to get a new tire. So you're stressed, you're worried out, you're about to have a nervous breakdown. How are you going to get to work? Money is a defense from some stresses of life. But listen, it's not life. It's not the life of His kingdom. It's not kingdom economy. It's not a peace that surpasses all understanding. It's not a joy that's unspeakable, full of glory. It's not life. And Jesus said very clearly, life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Do you know the difference between who Jesus called the foolish versus the faithful? He tells this story in Luke 12, 15 about a man. He says, beware of covetousness. Talks about this man. He was a rich man and his, his field yielded plentiful. And he said, you know what? My barns ain't even big enough. I'm getting so much prosperity and blessing." The issue wasn't that he was prospering. You know what the issue was? You go read it, Luke 12, 15 and 21. I'll tell you the issue. Here's what he said. The man said, what shall I do? Everybody say, I do. Then he said, I will do this. Then he said, I will pull down. Then he said, I will store. Then he said, I will say to my soul. But God said, you fool. Your soul and life will be required of you this night. So is he who lays up treasure, watch this, for himself and is not rich toward God. The difference between the foolish and the faithful is the foolish loves and is loyal and is serving their own desires. He said, I will. He said, I will. He said, I will. He never asked, God, what's your will? How can I love you with the possessions you've given me? How can I love you with the money you've given me? How can I show my loyalty to the mission and the calling that you have for me with the money? How? So let me ask you this question in conclusion. What purpose is attached to those possessions you have? Is it the purpose of I? Or is it the purpose of loving God? Loyal to God, serving God. How can my possessions be used for the mission to see the gospel of Jesus Christ move forward? Here's your kingdom action point. When you spend your money, you are exchanging your soul, your life, for something you desire. Is it worth it? Prophet Isaiah said, you're spending money for that which will never satisfy. You know what I found? Money attached to obeying the Lord brings kingdom experience. Michelle and I have never once regretted any money we've given and used to see this come about. Never regretted any of it. And you know what I found? That when you use money, you use your possessions, and use what God gives you for His kingdom, and loyalty and love and service to Him, that you, when you use your money for the kingdom, it actually brings a joy of His kingdom. It brings a peace of his and it brings a sense that you're a part of something so much bigger than you. The kingdom of God through the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, 
Be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.